Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, brothers and sisters. What a glorious Lord's Day greeting to each of you. And welcome to First Day. If you had the privilege of joining us together at 8 a.m. for outside service and breakfast, I know you were blessed. I mean, how could you not be blessed? The Bible and bacon. Two of my favorite things right there. And my babe. <laughs> anyway, I'm on the bees. Speaking of bacon, I felt like a piece of fried bacon this week. I mean, that was so hot outside, unbelievable. It sure feels great in here this morning. All safe from the hurricane. <laughs> California hurricane. <laughs> I'm beginning to rethink my thoughts about global warming, but anyway. No, I'm... Thankful to be here in this beautiful auditorium the Lord has provided us. The Commands of Christ is our series. This is number 20 in our ongoing sermon series. Things you need to make happen in your spiritual life. And this is part A. Growing up in the 60s and the 70s, and you still hear it now and then, When you weren't sure of how things might play out with your goals and you felt like really there was not a lot you could do about it, it was very popular for people to say, que sera, sera. You know, that's one of those great terms like groovy and far out from my era. Que sera, sera means whatever will be, will be. It sounds Spanish, but it really is, uh, from what I read, uh, Italian in origin. And as you see here, the phrase actually became a major part of the American lexicon when mega Hollywood star at that time, Doris Day, had a big hit with the song. But over the years, the quote has seemed to morph a little from work hard and then, hey, whatever will be, will be, to simply whatever. And today, it seems like we have an epidemic of Cain Sarah Sarah in the Christian life. Many times, people approach their Christian life with the seemingly accurate but misguided statement. Listen closely. Since God is in control, whatever will be, will be. Sounds accurate, but it's not. The truth is that the Bible does teach God is in control and that he always operates according to a divine plan, one that he has established himself. Ephesians 1.9 says, Having made known unto us the mystery, and it is a mystery that he only knows of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath noticed, purposed in himself. You see, God does what he wants to do, for sure. But there is also a balancing truth in Scripture, and that is this. The Bible teaches that God moves according to the actions and the prayers of His people. Well-known TV pastor and Bible teacher, 
David Jeremiah. Listen to this quote. He talks about this matter of God's working. I scour the New Testament looking for things that God does in ministry, listen, that are not prompted by prayer and found none, not even one. The truth is, nearly everything God does in the lives of His people is a result of His working through human instrumentation. And, furthermore, He functions reciprocally. Here's what it says in James 4, verse 8. Draw nigh unto God, He'll draw nigh unto you. That's a responsive God. You see, God is the ultimate first responder. You could even say it this way. Take one step towards God, and He'll meet you more than halfway. Consider this portion of Scripture from the fiery Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, chapter 22 and verse 30. I sought for a man, this is God speaking, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. I love that statement. Before me for the Lamb. There's a breach. There was a big hole in the nation. And if there's ever a hole in the nation, it's what we face today. For somebody to stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. For centuries, Israel had lived in sin. They deserved to be punished, but that is not, was not what God wanted. He desired for somebody to pray so that he would change what his actions were coming. God sought for a person or persons who would have taken upon themselves to pray and to intercede, to do some things, to stand in the gap for their nation. Yet as the Lord sought in an entire nation, he found none, not even one other than Ezekiel, zilch that would stand up for God. They had either fallen into sin or had given up hope. Everybody was singing, K-Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. We can't change what's going to happen. Now let me pinpoint this thing to us here this morning. The enemy is tearing down the walls of righteousness in our country as never before. It is an evil social contagion. And God is not wanting to destroy this land. But I promise you, there is a gap that is growing wider every single day. And yet, while that is happening, many Christians, even evangelical Christians, are standing back saying, what can we do? Whatever will be, will be. We don't really believe that our actions and prayers can make any real difference. But the Bible teaches that the future is ours to do with as we choose when it comes to good versus evil. And so today in our current series, our command of Christ, there are some things God says you need to make happen. Don't say whatever will be, will be. You know, you need to make these happen. And if you will, I will respond because God is the ultimate first responder. A hundred or more times in the New Testament, God uses the command, let, also may, as in, let him hear. At first glance, we might get the impression it's more of a, well, if you can do this, do it. But it's not at all. It is not a permissive, but an imperative. What he's really saying is, you should do this. 
you need to make sure you get this done. Things we had better do or not do. That's what God was saying. Make this happen. And so this morning, four things you need to make happen in your spiritual life. Are you paying attention today? A private school in Virginia recently was facing a unique problem. A number of their little 12 and 13-year-old girls were beginning to use lipstick and was putting it on in the school bathroom. Well, it was fine. But after they would put on their lipstick, they would press their lips to the mirror for fun, leaving dozens of little lip prints. Every night, the maintenance man would remove them with great effort, and the next day, they'd be back again. He went to the principal and said, we've got to do something. And so the experienced principal decided something did have to be done. She called all the girls together to the bathroom, met them there, along with the maintenance man, and she explained that lip prints were causing a major problem for the custodian. You just can't do this. And so to, diff- to demonstrate how difficult it was to clean mirrors, she asked the maintenance man to show the girls how much effort it required. And so he took out a long-handled squeegee, dipped it in the toilet, and proceeded to clean the mirror. Since then, there have been no lip prints on the mirror. There are teachers, and then there are educators. Well, I hope there's some listeners here today. Listen, please, because I believe this is a message that we need, our country needs. Let's bow for prayer. Father... Help us to listen. Oh, God. Help us not to just sit here and say, throw up our hands and say, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Lord, help us to take this thing by the horns and say we can do something. Teach us, Lord, to make these things happen by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Surprisingly, there are over 900 commands in the New Testament, each one of them wonderful precepts that if we would follow, it will result in our best life. A hundred times, God says, let something happen. Now, in the Old English meaning, it is as though there were a hindrance in the way, and you need to let it out of the way, even used in legal doctrine sometimes. For example, in John chapter 14 and verse number 1, the words of Jesus, let not your heart be troubled. What it really means is, do not allow your heart to be so out of sorts. Don't get all worried. Don't do it. Other times, he says, let a person hear. Or, you'd better listen up. That's what he's meaning by that. It's not an option. These are things we better do or not do. They're imperatives. They're commands. Now, we're not going to go through all 100 lets in the New Testament, but several of them, enough to get an understanding of what God is requiring of us, and yet not crossing over into ground we've already covered or will be covered. Real obedience doesn't allow us to decide what we will and what we won't obey. The words of Jesus, my friend, are not advice. They are commands. And God wants us to make them happen by the grace of God. And so this morning, four unconditional requests from our God. I hope you're listening. Number one, crucify self. Crucify self. By the way, all of these notes are also on our app if you want to download the app. And you can fill them out as we're going along. We have Wi-Fi here for you. 
And uh, just go on the, the guest Wi-Fi. I think it's Be My Guest is the password. You can fill out the notes and you can keep them that way. You can even email them to somebody else. But uh, also can fill them out by hand and write them. And you can take notes and whatever you want to do in here. But I hope you'll just keep attention as we go through. Crucify self. God wants us to take up our cross, which means to die to self. In three of the first four Gospels, God says, take up your cross. Matthew 16 and verse 24, Then said Jesus unto the disciples, If any man will come after me, let. Here's that command. It's it's not an if. It's It's not a maybe make this happen. It's a you need to do this. Let him. Ah. God put it on us. <laughs> He's not going to do it for us. Let him deny himself. What? Deny myself? I don't like the sound of that. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Taking up a cross means to pick it up at once. It means death to self for the sake of Jesus and doing it now. Now, this is only the second time the word cross has been mentioned in the New Testament. As you might or might not know, criminals at this era of human history were often crucified, especially in the Middle East. It was a torturous form of punishment. There in Jerusalem, it was the custom for the condemned person to carry his own cross to the place of crucifixion, or at least carry the big cross beam, as Jesus did. Here we find Christ lovingly rebuking his dear friend and co-laborer, Peter. He loved Peter. And he said to Peter, look, I have a cross to face. It's my destiny. Do not do anything to interfere with that. I'm going to pick up my cross. But for your information, you also have a cross to bear. And he looked at all of his other disciples and said, each of you have a cross to bear. You need to pick it up. Many of us have the idea that picking up a cross is this or that. In fact, some well-meaning, zealous, but seriously misinformed people, for example, during the Easter season, will allow themselves to be literally nailed to a piece of wood, sometimes, many times in foreign countries, or self-flagellation where they will whip themselves. That is not what God is talking about. What he's referring to is crucifying the flesh, not the body. Or maybe we could say it this way, the old sin nature. In fact, it is something we should do, not just once in our life, but every single day. The parallel passage in Luke 9, verse 23, he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. It's actually something we have to do every single day, and actually many times a day, really. We, as followers of Christ, need to wake up and say, my life is not my own, and to crucify our desires. But easier said than done, I will say. Because I remind you this morning, there is a cruel taskmaster that wants to rule over your life and keep you in bondage. He or she is beyond a doubt your worst enemy. And if you want to know more about that enemy, then go look in the mirror, because his or her Name is self, King Self. His throne is the human heart, and his kingdom is only made of three people. I, myself, and me. 
And he comes from a long dynasty of self-absorbed people. It all began with Adam and Eve and continues down for 6,000 years to this present age. The God of self wants to rule in your heart. A God that we run to when any time we need validation, we go and ask our own self if we're not correct or not. We want help and we run to ourselves. We need encouragement and somehow we run to our own God that's on our throne. Because we believe that we have the power to do what we need to do. Self is a compelling God because it arises from our deepest desire. But I will tell you this this morning. When self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. But when Christ is on the throne of our heart, as He should be, then self is on the cross. God said that we need to have Christ on the throne of our hearts. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. I'm killing my old sin nature. I'm just putting that down. Nevertheless, I live. Every living in me is because Christ is living. Like it or not, we are very self-centered people. Now, you may think this morning that your problem is your weakness. You may say, well, I have a weakness in this area. But I submit this morning that your problem really is not in your weakness. Your problem mostly is in your strength. And that is this. Your flesh is way too strong. For many of us, we have a constant battle with who's going to be a king on the throne of our heart. Will it be self or will it be Christ? A lot of people that think of this, that when the Bible says take up your cross, they think it's something that happens to them. As a result of that, they get the misguided concept and become a victim in their Christian life. I hear people say over the years, this is my cross to bear. They might be referring to a health issue they're having, or they might be referring to their spouse that they're having challenges with, or their children, or some kind of a circumstance that's a real burden to them, and they say, that's a cross that I'm required to bear. Well, I'll say this. They may be legitimate challenges in your life, but they are not crosses. Because a cross is something we're to pick up daily and willing. It is denying our way of doing the hard thing and doing it God's way, the right way. Taking the cross up is surrendering to God's sovereign will, whatever it might be. It is a Bible-driven, Christ-centered life. I'm afraid in too many churches anymore, our theology, and I just see it so much in the books that I see being printed and the songs that I hear often, I'm afraid that our theology has migrated into a meology. It's all about me. It seems like the church is listening to Madison Avenue when they say, you owe it to yourself, or you deserve a break today. A man or woman says, I owe it to myself to be happy. I can't spend the rest of my life without being happy. No, my friend, you and I owe it to ourselves to crucify ourselves and take up the cross of Christ. He died on a cross for you and I. We need to take up His cross. Taking up our cross is finding true freedom, as we sang just a few moments ago, is the true freedom in Christ. And that's why in John chapter 8, and verse 36, it says, If the Son shall therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm telling you what, I'm all grateful for anybody who can get freedom in anything that's a bad habit or hang-up, but I will tell you, only real freedom comes when Christ gives you that freedom. In the South Pacific, there is a bird. I read about. It's called the Mimi bird. 
never seen one, but they say the song of the Mimi bird has only two words. As you might imagine, it's Mimi, Mimi, and that's why they call it the Mimi bird. Now, I've never seen a feathered Mimi, but I've sure met a lot of Mimis with skin on them. I've seen people in a marriage saying, me, 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 or in a home, me, 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 or in a job, me, 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 it's all about me, or even in churches, yes, me, it's all about me. I shared before the story of two rugged, powerful mountain goats. I'm amazed when I see pictures of them who met on a narrow pathway joining two mountain ridges. On one side was a deep chasm, on the other a steep cliff rising straight up. So narrow was the trail that either had room to turn around without falling. What could they do? Finally, instead of fighting for the right to pass, one of the goats knelt down, made himself as flat as possible, and the other goat then walked over him. And they both proceeded safely on their way. It is time for some of you this morning to get the white flag and just say, I surrender. To take up our cross and to crucify that old sin nature and say, I give up. I am tired of having my own way. In a very real sense, that's what Jesus did for us. When he left heaven's glory and came to this earth to die for our sins, he saw us trapped between our sin and the righteousness of God. And there was no way to help ourselves. And He humbled Himself. And He died for sinful mankind. He literally let us walk over Him so we could experience the forgiveness and eternal life. That's what Jesus did for us. God said, we need to crucify, let it happen, or make it happen in your Christian life. There's a second thing this morning. Not only crucify self, but concentrate on the Lord. That is, let him hear. Can you hear me now? That's what we've heard before. Mark 4 and verse 23, If any man have ears, let him hear. That's a command. Make it happen. You need to really listen up. Verse 24, And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. Are you listening or are you just kind of sitting here, just kind of taking it in? Jesus was telling a metaphor in this passage, a parable about being a wonderful bright light for God. And he said, you know, in this story, there's more to it than meets the eye. I hope you're listening, people. I'm telling you a parable. I'm telling you a story. But are you getting it? Are you really listening? What he is saying is that there are some things you learn in school, but there are some things really you never get intellectually. It's more caught than taught. Things that you will never, never know until you have ears to hear. What he was saying was, until you're willing to kind of lay down your human intellectual pride and then hear with open spiritual ears, you're never going to really hear the Lord. One of the things I've prayed the last couple of days is I've been praying on and off, morning and evening and afternoon so many times. Oh God, give us people with ears to hear, with teachable spirits, because my friend, if you were a proud person, I just tell you right now, there's almost no way you're going to have a good marriage, a good life. As long as it's all me, 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 it's we're in trouble. But if you're just willing to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm ready to say, Lord, I listened to you this morning. 
God is saying, let him hear. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. In the Greek grammar of this verse, it is what they call a present imperative, meaning listen and respond immediately. That's what it means. Listen to this and respond immediately. Jesus said, are you listening, folks? Are you really getting this? It's what Jesus' half-brother, James, would later write in James 1 and verse 22. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Come on. You're only deceiving your own selves and you're screwing everything up. Do something what God tells you to do. It is past time for us to listen up and obey up accordingly. Or as one paraphrase says, you had better listen. And folks, really listening to the Bible truth is so very, very important. As never before. We have some who are spineless. They are afraid of God's truth. We have some who are guilty of laziness. They accept half-truth. We have others who have haughtiness, and they think they know all truth. But the Lord has provided the light of His Word so all of us might really hear. Are we, are we seeing what He gives us to see? Are we listening for the sound of wisdom? Shakespeare borrowed this very phrase for the expression for Mark Antony's speak. Friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ears. The idea was, you need to listen. You know, it's a challenge to really listen good, to pay attention to what's being said. But it's just so important with any communication. But when the speaker is God, it's a command. It's not just to try to listen. It's make yourself listen, whatever you've got to do. I remember being in college and listening to that boring old teacher. Loved them, but man, I was and I was dead tired. I'd literally pinch myself while I was listening. Keep myself awake. God has so much to say, but do we have ears to hear? What kind of ears do you have? In Acts chapter seven and verse number five, some stop their ears. I don't want to listen to this. I don't like this. In Titus, Second Timothy two, excuse me, Second Timothy four and verse four, some turn their ears from the truth. They just don't want to hear. Some, we are told in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3, have itching ears. They only want new and stuff that sounds novel. It was said that famous naturalist John Burroughs could walk along a noisy city street and overhear a cricket in a hedge. They asked him how could he do such a thing, and he said, My ear is tuned to the voice of nature. What are you listening for today? Can you make your way through a day without even hearing heaven? I don't even seem to hear from God. Well, my friend, is your ear tuned to heaven? You know, everybody likes these Apple ear pods now. If you're on a plane, for example, you might be listening to a nice podcast or an audio book or binging on Anne of Green Gables or something, you know. But even though you have those in your ear, you're always listening for the announcements because there may be something you need to know. You know, as we go through life and we have our little ear pods with all we do, are you still listening for announcements from heaven? He has some announcements he wants to give us. Did you know eight times in the book of Revelation alone, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. The Holy Spirit's concern was people are sitting in churches and they're hearing, but they're not really listening. 
And there are some people here this morning, I think, who right now are hundreds of miles away. Or, although it's, it, it might seem that way. There was an elderly man who had a serious hearing problem for a number of years. His family tried again and again to convince him to get a hearing aid. Finally, he relented, and he was fitted for a set of hearing aids that allowed him to hear 100%. A month later, he went back to the doctor. He said with a smile, Your hearing is perfect. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear again. The old man replied, Oh, I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and listen to their conversation. I've changed my will three times already. God is asking for our attention. Are you listening? You know, many times a message is lost because the speaker did not get the attention of the person first. For example, your kids. You have something you'd like to happen, and so you say, you know, uh, I'd say, Luke, bring me a hammer. Or excuse me, I'd say, bring me a hammer and nails, Luke. And you'd say, what? But if I said, Luke, get his attention first, then bring me a hammer and nails, he would answer. And that's what God is doing. God is saying, Tim, Tim. When he said to Samuel, 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 God gets our attention. But he may not say your name. Brilliant English writer C.S. Lewis said this. And listen closely. It's a great quote. One of my favorite quotes. Listen closely. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Do you have some adversities and some pain? Did you know that's actually God just saying your name? Tim, are you listening? Do I have your attention? I haven't been able to get it any other way. I've been whispering in your conscience, but you don't appear to be listening. Are you listening? And he gives us pain. God spoke to that amazing Old Testament man, Samuel. And the prophet told Samuel, When God speaks, say, Speak, Lord. For thy servant heareth. Can I tell you that this morning? If you're feeling pain and God is speaking to you, then say, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Now listen to that phrase I'm your servant. I humble myself. You feel like God has been trying to get your attention? Maybe it's time for you to say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. There are four things that God wants us to make happen. Crucify self, let him take up his cross. Concentrate on the Lord, let him hear. And then number three, consider judgment day. It's coming. Let everyone take heed how he builds on Christ. Folks, there is a payday someday. Don't imagine there's not. Don't swallow this stuff that, oh, you know, it doesn't make any difference what you do. No, my friend, there's a payday coming. Even for believers, let me show you what that means. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10 According to the grace of God, which is given me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let, there's that phrase again, there's a command, this is not a maybe, he said, you need to make this happen. You need to make sure you build wisely. Paul said, I laid a foundation. What he's talking about, his evangelistic efforts that had led to the founding of the church at Corinth about four or five years earlier. He said others have come along and built on that. And 
Apollos and a few others. And he said, it's good. It's good what each of us have done. Some plant, some water, you know, others reap, whatever the case. But the fact of the matter is, whatever you do, make sure you're a wise builder. Let it happen, meaning make it happen. Anybody who builds needs to do so wisely. Paul directed Timothy this way, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. He said, Pastor Timothy, when you're ordaining men for the ministry, make sure they're faithful men. But you know, that's the same whatever ministry we have. We're all in the ministry, whether it be as a father or mother, or whether it be in, out there in this world. We're really all in the ministry trying to do something for God. God needs faithful people. What is this faithfulness that we're supposed to do? Well, back to 1 Corinthians, it says several times in verses 10 through 18, he says, let each man, let each person. Every builder is to be a careful Every believer is to be a careful builder because Judgment Day is coming. Make sure your building materials for the work of the kingdom are top shelf. One of my children gave me a cordless hair and bid on a beard trimmer. Now, most of these little small uh, battery-operated uh, things are notorious for losing their charge almost after one use. I mean, it's just like almost useless. But I don't tell, I'm not sure where they got this one, but this one... I only have to plug it in twice a year. That thing just, it has like a mini nuclear reactor inside of that thing. I don't know what it is, but I'm talking, you talk about precious stones, no wood and hay and stubble there. Now there are, and that's what God is saying. Come on now, give it the best. Let's, let's have some quality stuff here. There are three judgments everybody must face. First of all, God judges us as sinners. Now, how does God judge us as sinners? Well, if you're a lost sinner, we stand before the great white throne judgment to be judged according to our works. Revelation 20 and verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. That occurs at the end of time. Now, it is not for believers who have asked Christ into their heart to be their Savior. Thank God for you. That judgment's already passed. You said, well, when did my judgment already pass? Well, when Jesus bled and suffered and died all alone on that cross outside of Jerusalem, He took your judgment for you. It's passed. That's why it says in Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No, a believer will not have to be at the great white throne judgment because you could say it this way, you settled out of court. If you are saved, that judgment is behind you. Thank God. There are three judgments. God judges us as sinners. Number two, God judges us as sons and daughters. Now, if you are a child of God, praise the Lord, you are saved and you are secure. But if you deliberately sin, God has to chastise you because He is a faithful God to His Word. Now, it's not a judgment to see if you're saved or you're lost. Thank God that's already settled. You will never be a lost soul again. However, as a child of God, I say that again, as a child of God, as a son or daughter of God, if you disobey, God has to chastise us. Hebrews 12, verse 5, If you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourges every son whom he receiveth. This is called divine discipline. God takes His own to the woodshed. 
on Sunday nights, we go through the Bible verse by verse. It's something, if you could take some time to do, uh, I would tell you it would be a great reward to you. But as we've been going through Second Samuel, First Samuel now, Second Samuel, we have watched this divine discipline play out before our very eyes in the lives of Saul and of David. God's serious. Now, no, God does not do this because He hates you, because, but because He loves you. God judges us as sinners. That's at Calvary. God judges us as sons. That's chastisement. And then finally, number three, God judges us as servants. And here really is what the passage we're talking about. One day, how we serve the Lord is going to be brought into review. And that's what this verse is talking about. Now, there are a lot of Christians who think, well, I'm saved. Judge is behind me. Oh, no. Listen, church. Every one of us, one of these days, you, each one of you, and myself as well, are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way we have served is going to come into review. And that's why Paul said, take heed. Come on now. Stop messing around. And just... Just kind of spinning through your life like there's nothing, there's, you're not going to face God someday. Now, yes, thank God you won't face Him for salvation. And thank God you are, you're a, you're, the fact that you're a child of God is secure. But we will face Him as a servant. The illustration is this. He's saying they come to Jesus and you have a foundation. That's your foundation. Have you accepted Christ into your life? Have you said, Lord, forgive me? Great. Wonderful. That's called the foundation. But that's just the beginning. The house that we build, is that sanctified? Some build out of gold and silver and precious stones. Others wood, hay, and stubble. Now, what's the difference between gold and silver and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble? Well, for gold and silver and precious stones, there's serious effort involved. There is a fire that is often there because that's what makes them precious. Wood, hay, and stubble, it just grows on the ground easy. Folks, if your Christian life is just kind of, you know, well, I'll do what I can when I can, then that's wood, hay, and stubble. But if you are serious about your, about your walk and about your Savior, that's those precious stones and silver and gold. Now, God knows that some of us here and some of you are gold and silver. Others are building a foundation that's just wood, hay, and stubble. Because God is going to give a torch test to all of our serving, and He's telling us, Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Everybody. You're going to stand before God. By the way, just so you know, you're not going to stand before God with your mom or your dad or your grandparents. I always hear people say, yeah, well, my grandparent was a pastor or this world. Amen. But I promise you, you are not going to stand before God as a servant with anybody next to you. It is you and your Savior. Every man's work shall be made manifest. The day shall declare it. Don't think that it won't. No wonder the command is, come on, get serious about your Christian life. You can fool your pastor, your wife, but you won't fool God. And one of these days, it's all going to be made manifest. By the way, don't kid yourself into thinking that that's sometime way, way, well, you know, I don't know. He's not coming very soon, folks. Every one of us are one heartbeat from facing God. That's why God let every man, let every man take heed. The beloved and aged John in Revelation 22 and verse 12 said, Behold, I come quickly. 
And my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall do. I cannot work my soul to save, the poet said. That work my Lord has done. But I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear son. There are four things that I wanted to share this morning about things we need to make happen. Crucify self, number one. Number two, concentrate on the Lord, number two. Number three, consider Judgment Day. But there's a fourth thing. And this is something that's so very vital. And that is to cultivate peace. Let peace. There's that phrase again. Let. Have a tranquil spirit. Develop it. In that beautiful New Testament epistle, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your heart to the which you are so called. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. That's really how peace comes. And it goes on to talk about singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like we did this morning. The peace of God was to not just be there, but to rule there. Interesting, the couple of words there. The word peace is a verb, which means to join or bind something together. And if you're Lacking peace, you will understand what it means to have fragments everywhere. It just seems like you're not, they're not together. God said, bring it together by just dwelling on Scripture. Focus on that. Have Christ-honoring music playing. And then notice what it says. Let the peace of God rule. A very interesting Greek word God chose there. Brabuo. B-R-A-B-E-U-O. It's actually a word used for an umpire in an athletic game. What he was saying was that this umpire would preside over the game, even restrain, making sure that things were in bounds and done right, for example. What God is saying here is let the peace of Christ act as an umpire for you, alerting you when you're out of bounds, restraining you when you're angry or stressed or you're irritated. God said, do not give up. But when you're feeling that umpire saying, hey, pointing his finger saying, that's out of bounds. We are so prone to lose our peace. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, reminds us that that's exactly what's going to happen during the tribulation period. There's going to be a great exodus of peace. And if you think problems are crazy now, the tribulation period is just incredible. Here's what it says, Revelation 6 and verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red, and the power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Peace will be stolen. Quickly, let me give you five thieves that can steal your peace this morning. Five thieves that can steal your peace. Number one, anxiousness. Anxiousness. Thoughts and imaginations that run wild. Your husband does not come home. You begin to imagine certain things. You get a bad medical report, you hear about layoffs at work, your child doesn't call or text, and your mind spirals. Listen, friend, if you don't bring those thoughts into the activity of Christ, it will strangle any kind of rational thinking. Here's how Jesus, here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, casting down those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And listen to this. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I mean, those thoughts are, just grab them and 
rope them in and say, no, come on back now. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I bring thoughts into captivity? Read Scripture out loud, by the way. Read it and read it out loud. You may have to be private so you don't bother everybody, but listen to instrumental praise. Pray. Come down here to the church and just come into the auditorium and say, can I come and pray? We'll turn a little light on. Text me and I'll pray for you. Text Pastor Luke or Pastor Jeff. may not be able to answer quickly, but I will tell you, if you text me, I will pray for you. I'll tell you that right now. And I know any of them will. Just give me a, a flare text. Preacher, pray for me. I'm about ready to do this or this is where I'm feeling. Just pray for me. And I will help you. I will go to bat for you. I will stand in the gap for you. Folks, and there's a whole lot of other people who will do the same thing. Get someone who who will do that and not share your prayer text with all their people like gossip. I'm talking about somebody who would just pray for you. There are some amazing people in this church that, well, I tell you what, they are prayer warriors. Get peace. Get rid of that anxiousness. Number two, emptiness. It's a peace dealer. You say, what are you talking about? Paul gave the church at Ephesus a command, not simply a good suggestion. He said, be filled with the Spirit. Stop it. Stop being filled with fear. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, you cannot be filled both with the Holy Spirit and faith and at the same time be controlled by fear. They are, they just, they push each other. It's like light and darkness. You can't have darkness if the light comes in. It's just, it pushes up. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. Fill me, Lord. And then just set out to serving God as best you can. As you begin to focus on the Word and focus on others, you're filled with the Spirit, and you will find that peace will come back. Anxiousness, emptiness. There's a third thief, and that is bitterness. The acid of resentment eats away the very soul of our spirit. The Lord in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the peacemakers. You can be your own peacemaker, but you need to make sure you get the peace of God. It says, Let the peace of God rule. Let God's peace be your umpire. You say, well, no, I'm... Look, they have wronged me. They've done me bad. I'm going to get even. I'm going to give them what they deserve. Friend, bitterness is the most toxic substance on earth. Just give it to God. Just just say, vengeance is yours, Lord. But that doesn't mean you can't be hurt or even cautious about it. It just means give any vengeance to God. There is a fourth thief that can steal your peace, and that is foolhardiness. Folks, you can't be a fool and have peace. It just They don't go together. You need wisdom. Well, where does it come from? James 3 says it comes from above. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. You'll know that you're not a fool is when you have the peace of God, which comes from reading the Scripture, and as it goes on to say in the next verse, sowing peace. Seeds of peace. You know, you can't make yourself have peace, but you can sow peace. You sow peace by quoting verses. You sow peace by praying. You sow peace by giving the gospel to people. And You know, if you just began to serve the Lord, you're, you're sowing peace. Now, if you're not in your Bible, if you're listening to Oprah, you're going to run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Excuse me, Peter. I know that's not a good symbol there. but uh, There is a fifth... Thing that is a thief of our peace, and that is sinfulness. 
Friends, it is simply this. There can be no peace when there is regarded sin in your life. It could not be any more clear. God gave that wonderful Old Testament Christ prophet, Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. None. Today. Today is your day to come clean. I don't care if you're 6 or 96. You need to come clean. If there is something in your life that is regarded sin, you will never have peace until you say, that's it. I'm done. I am done. Come down to this altar and just leave it here and say, God, it's yours. Friend, listen to me. When the thief comes, it is time to let the umpire rule your hearts. I close with a story that I heard several years ago that has a special meaning to me. A father and his little daughter had come from the funeral home where they had left his beautiful wife and the beloved mother of the daughter. They came home that night to an empty house, quieter than it had ever been before. The little girl headed off to her bedroom and the father went to his bed, cold and empty. Soon the little precious girl came in and said, Daddy, can I sleep in your room tonight? Daddy, it just seems like it's sure dark out there. It seems darker than it's ever been. Daddy said, yes, sweetheart, it really is the darkest night I've ever seen. And then she said, Daddy, I I can't even see you in here. Is your face towards me? And he said, yes, precious. Daddy's face is towards you. And with that assurance, she went soundly off to sleep. But after she dozed, that big old man slipped out of bed. He got down on his knees, and he began to pray through his tears. Oh, God. Oh, God. It is so dark. I don't believe I've ever seen it so dark. And Father God said to him, Yes, son, it is dark. Father, is your face towards me? And Father God looked to him and said, Yes, son, my face is towards you. And may I say to each of you, precious brothers and sisters, with Christ as your Savior, go to sleep and sleep in peace tonight because his blessed face is towards We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.